Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Here we go. This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to... It's a mystery for me. Period. everyone welcome back to it's the mystery for me it's been a little bit of a hiatus it's been a while well it's only been like a week or so right yeah we missed one week apologies norma came back from vegas and she was had her had her head on backwards and everything i i was a little too turnt a little too turnt in vegas i had a good time that's good at least you enjoyed yourself um, meanwhile, I was here working, adulting. I didn't know adulting was this hard. I don't know why I want to grow up so fast, but here I am. And now I'm grown with responsibilities and I'm like, why? You don't have yeah. anything to say about that? Norma? No, I'm just, I'm over here thinking like, damn, that's going to be me in a few months. Right. That's You're saying in a few months because you know, like you don't really have to work right now. I'll help you if you need anything. You're lucky. Help me if I need anything. Yes. What What do you do for me that I don't do for myself? Norma, I bought you a Gucci bag for your birthday because you were like, I'm okay, a good we, sister. We, I deserve we, it. We're going to edit that out. No, we're going to keep don't that count. in. I got you Gucci stockings. What do you mean? Okay, but I've done a lot for you as a sister. I've so been there I. to just pop in your room and say hello. I, I sit here every week with you and I tell you stories. I do a lot. I mean, okay. Basically, I traumatize her 24-7. That's a lot. That's work. It is a lot. It's a, it's a lot of work, but somebody's got to do it. Okay, so um, to avoid the whole having to take a week off here and there, even though I'm not going to lie, it's kind of necessary sometimes because this material is heavy. And when I started, you know, when we started the podcast, I was like, really gung-ho about it like okay this is great and I still feel that way as far as like being able to tell these stories but it is very heavy to read about this stuff um and report on it um personally for me that's what I've I've found that that has been the case I don't watch true crime documentaries like I used to like I would just play it at night and go to sleep with it in the background and now it's like I can't watch a true crime documentary without taking notes I really can't I cannot put on an episode of on the case with Paula Zahn without being like ah this is gonna have to we gonna have to do an episode on this but it's okay because you know what somebody's gotta do it and we out here we're gonna try and get a more steady schedule going that way we can release an episode on Tuesdays like you know on time and whatnot um sometimes life gets in the way and we do appreciate you guys understanding and supporting nonetheless 
we feel it. And mm-hmm. honestly, that gets us like super encouraged to come back and to do an episode. Right. Yep. You're just like nodding. No, I'm tired. I agree. I'm tired, but I mean, you're basically taking the words out of my mouth. So. Am I? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we do our best as like humans, as adults and stuff like that. And sometimes life gets in the way. Things get overwhelming. Just like, you know, aside from doing this, um, just general stuff happens um, and we have to adapt to that. But we have like a new recording schedule going and fingers crossed that we do. We do. This is news to me. I know it's news to you because we're about to start it this weekend. Norma's making a face now. She's like, wait a minute. You ain't tell me this. Yeah. I'm not going to edit this out either because why not? Keep Norma's authentic reaction Mm -hmm. in there. Um, We're just trying to get on a steady schedule. That way we get like a lot of like episodes recorded ahead of time. And that way I'm not like. As of, like right now, the the whole thing we got going on is we record an episode on the weekend, and then I edit it, and I do all of those things, you know. And I can set certain things. I can set the episode to like come out on Tuesday, so I could put it up on Saturday. It won't release until then. Same with the website. Hmm. But um, Norma's like, hmm, because she doesn't do it. Because she don't do that. Yeah, I I know nothing. Norma knows nothing. But that's another part of this, like you know, re-up. I'm going to teach you some things. We're going to have you work in the social media, too. I don't know about that. No. I can't even... Look at my social media right now. Well, that's it's, a personal choice not to post for, like, two years. That's on you. Ain't nobody told you to do that. But me, I, I don't know. I'm different. I'm always flicking it up, whether it's for the gram or TikTok. Exactly why this that job is perfect for you because you're used to doing that. Okay. Anyways, we have some sort of recording scheduling. Like if it works, don't, you know, if it's, if it's not broken, don't, you don't have to fix it. Norma, we, we're sharing responsibility, but anyways, enough of our banter. This is really what happens. This is how it really goes down in the house, but I'm moving (laughs) soon guys. That's, that's something I should share. I'm moving to a new place. It's only five minutes away because you know what is crazy? When I thought about moving, I thought about the podcast and I was like, okay, if I move into Manhattan where, which is where my job is, I'm like, how am I going to film the podcast? It's going to make it even more difficult. So I actually opted to stay like five minutes away from the house and get my own place. And maybe we'll record there because I know sometimes you guys could hear cars in the background because we sit next to the window. And sometimes you might hear like our dog Momo snoring in the background because sometimes he like sits next to us and knocks out. Um, So I don't know. But I thought about that when I was picking out an apartment. That's how dedicated I am. And we don't we don't get paid for this either. We do this for free. So, I mean, it's a next it's another level of dedication there. But it's for the culture. Mm -hmm. I digress. Exactly. So we have a few cases that we're going to be covering as we enter the last quarter of the year of 2021. Um, Just letting you guys know that Thanksgiving week, we probably won't release an episode and Christmas week, probably not. And possibly not on, like, New Year's Eve week either. So 
we're just taking breaks where necessary again like this is heavy stuff but we do it for the culture we do it for you guys keep listening review us on apple Podcasts. dm us because we do read your dms we read your emails and stuff like that and it's really cool when i get an email from someone saying hey i heard your podcast i heard someone on tiktok actually um right on like one of my videos <laughs> and say, your voice sounds so familiar. I think I heard you on a podcast. And and I told her, hey, like, yeah, I have a podcast called It's the Mystery for Me. And she's like, oh, my God, I listened to this podcast. Oh, wow. So how funny is that? Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this week's episode and where we're going with it. So this week's episode is a blast from the past. We're going back to 2002. What was happening in 2002? I don't know. I'm not really sure. There was some good music that was There was good music that year. Yeah. We would have been in middle school. Did 50 Cent already come out with his album? I think that was 2003. Damn. Okay. Eminem might have came out with his album. Britney Spears. Britney Spears. She probably already did the Was that the VMAs? Maybe. Yeah. So there was a lot of positive memories in 2002, but this... Mm -hmm case is going to kind of bring forth a very negative memory of 2002 um we just kind of wanted to give you guys a little bit of positives before we like get you know to the nitty-gritty of this Mm -hmm. um and it's also a case that's based in new york specifically a little bit of westchester a little bit of new york city like west side highway brooklyn a little bit of pleasantville we're all over westchester and the city so, jurisdiction-wise, actually, you know what? Okay. No. Yeah. We'll get into that afterwards. Okay. I felt that question coming already. But, um, okay, so um, before we get into the actual details of the episode, of course, the sources for today's episodes, there weren't actually that many. And I say that all the time, but this one was, like, pretty scarce. This case was pretty scarce. Um There was a few sources, like, you know, news articles and stuff like that. So you guys could check that out on the website. I found one picture of her. And then there's a second picture, like, in a newspaper, like, clipping that I found. But it's Mm -hmm. so difficult to find stuff like that. I might have to start going to the library when I'm researching these cases. No, really, because they could probably pull up some archives and stuff, especially because it's a New York case. I just got to fit that in my schedule. I'm trying to be inspector, like inspector gadget over here. I got a full time job Mm -hmm. that is like 50, 60 hour weeks. Like it's no joke, y'all. And still you manage. And still. You make time for this. I mean. Impressive. Very. Oh, thanks, Norma. You never compliment me. What do you mean? That is so nice. I think I manifested that compliment because I literally thought about it before you came into the living room. I was like, Norma's going to say, like, she thinks it's great how I balanced everything. and Really? Yes. That's weird. That is kind of strange. The power of the mind, you guys. The power of the mind. Think positively. Okay, so. How did you even learn about this case? So I was watching an episode on, let me see, what's the name of the show I was watching? Hold on, y'all. Ah, I was watching The Perfect Murder. I never know if this is on, like, Investigation, Discovery, or Oxygen. Both channels feel the same to me, but I watched it on Discovery+. Plus. Um, mm. And what I usually do and how I find episodes is I literally just will look at, like, the thumbnail of each episode and see if there's any black people in it. 
So I've been combing through. <laughs> no, really, that is the method. There's a method That's to the madness. To yeah. But some stories are so tricky that I can't really like. I can't tell from the thumbnail. Like the pictures are unclear for some of them, so I can't really tell like who are we talking about. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And also, black people come in all different shades, so it's like yeah. I'm looking for like obvious things sometimes, but like sometimes it's less obvious. So I really do have to sit there and watch some parts of the episode. Mm-hmm. But that's how I found this case. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, you guys could check out all of today's um, sources on isthemysteryforme.com. It's going to be linked in the show notes, so you can click on it that way. And, yeah, let's get into it. This is the Sandra... Wait. Sandra? Sandra? Is it Sandra or Sandra? Uh-oh. I don't know, girl. Okay, I'm about to pause this because I'm actually going to go and turn on the episode really quick and see how they say her name. Oh, okay, yeah, that's... That's smart. That is very smart. I wouldn't even think to do that. Yeah, let's let's pause. Okay, so here we go. This is the story of Sandra Bonaventure. Sandra was of Haitian descent. She was Haitian-American. She mm. was born in the U.S., she had a pretty tricky childhood, and there's not too many details, even on the episode I watched of The Perfect Murder. That's the name of the show, by the way. Season five, episode two. So as a foster kid in New York, Sandra spent time at the Pleasantville Cottages in Pleasantville, New York, and she also spent time at a foster home in Malvernon, New York. So at this foster home in Malvernon, New York, um, it just seemed like it was more of like a home versus like the cottages. It was like the cottages houses more people at once and like the home in Malvernon, it just seemed like they were taking a, a few kids at a time. Mm-hmm. Despite all of the adversities she faced earlier on in her life, she still ended up going to college and she actually went to SUNY New Paltz. Sandra wanted to be a special education teacher. She was studying at New Paltz to do this. She was a junior in 2002 at New Paltz. So she was about to go into her senior year. I don't know if she had a job lined up or anything for after college, but there's always plenty of opportunities to find one. I feel like you're still in your junior year, like still time to get it you know figured out um but she was seven months pregnant so Mm -hmm. when june 2002 rolled around like that's you know she was around that many months pregnant and she was back in malvernon because the semester was over and she still actually lived with her foster mom so at this point sandra is 20 years old in 2002 so you age out of the foster care system at 18 but her foster mom actually was like no, I want you to stay here. Like you have your room here. You're welcomed here no matter what. And I think that was honestly truly amazing because it gives Sandra some type of foundation. So when she leaves SUNY New Paltz, at least she could come somewhere and be able to call it her home. Um, So Sandra's biological mother seems to technically be in her life and she speaks out about like the case and everything later on um but i don't know in what capacity um she said that sandra had planned to still continue her studies after giving birth and that she would you know she came to her mom and said yeah like i might need your help and her mom was willing to do it but the show I watched didn't really touch too much on her relationship with her biological mom. They touched a lot on her relationship with her foster mom. But her foster mom was also on board, guys. She was like 
all for Sandra having the kid and like helping Sandra taking take care of the kid, which I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, you're 20 years old, you're in the midst of college, you're in the midst of like trying to adult and all, you know, a lot of things are changing at yeah. this point in time in your life. So it's nice that she had a foundation. So Sandra didn't have the type of worries that other people might have where they're like, my family's not going to accept me. Yeah. She didn't have to, like, you know, she didn't have to deal with that. Which is, which I think is, like, great. I mean, if you're going through the pregnancy, it's probably already stressful. It's your first kid. You're excited. You're, you know, many emotions. But at least she didn't have to think about, like, okay, when the kid gets here, what happens now? Because everybody was willing to, like, basically give her a helping hand. So who is her kid's father? He, his name is Emmanuel Pierce. He was 26 years old in 2002. And he also was Haitian-American. Let me see what else. Um, Where did she meet him? I don't know how. Well, okay. Let's, bench, let's benchmark that. Is benchmark a thing? Let's bench so. that question. No. Okay. Let's circle back. Let me use corporate terminal. Let's circle <laughs> back on that later on in this conversation because okay. it'll, yeah, it'll kind of become clearer or I'll make it clear at the end. But, but anyways, yeah, she met Emmanuel and stuff. A romance started and, um, by all accounts, they were in some type of like boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. Um, he knew she was pregnant and everything, um, and on June 20th, 2002, which would be the last time that Sandra was seen alive, she was actually headed to see her baby daddy slash boyfriend, Emmanuel, in Brooklyn. She took the Metro North. If you're from New York, you took the Metro North before. And she transferred to, like, the subway and got off at, like, around Utica Avenue. If you're, you're from New York, you already, you already know that part, too. You understand what I'm talking about. But, yeah, she took the train. And also, she did this in the wee hours of the night. So by the time she reached, like, to wherever he was, it was, like, 2 in the morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, super late. Super, super late. Um, to be traveling, traveling alone. Alone, pregnant. Pregnant. I'm like, wait a minute. Emmanuel, he's 26. She's 20. You can't send a car to get your girlfriend. You can't pick her up yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, you really have her out here just traveling alone. Especially, you know, at that time of night. Right. Early in the morning. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like, I the time frame. I think more concerning, yeah. Yeah. Like, like not why her was she just traveling herself, at that but, time, you know? Right. Right. So so many questions. Fast forward a few days on June 25th, a homeless man is looking for food right by the West Side Highway by West 56th Street and 12th Avenue. So if you are, you know, even if you're not from New York, I mean, I keep saying if you're from New York, but we haven't I don't think we did a New York case yet. I don't think so. So that's probably why mm. I'm a New Yorker. So I'm like, if you're from New York, you know this. But really, like, if you take the Henry Hudson Highway, like, once you go over that bridge, you know, the towers, the, what's his name? What, 44? Is that his name? 45? Was it 45? Trump was 45 president? Number 45, 40, Norma? Yes. Okay, so Sorry. 45, 40. <laughs> Norma was, like, so confused. So was I, I though. Th- I thought you were trying to tell me the address for, like, the, tr- the Trump. No. Okay. Um, his building. No, well, I'm saying 45's tower <laughs> is on the left side when you're going into the city okay. on Henry Hudson, yes. right? And 56th Street is actually, like, the first exit once you go over that bridge. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So... 
this homeless man is like looking for food in the trash right around there just to give everyone a visual. And he comes across a bag and in that bag is Sandra. And unfortunately she's deceased. And the homeless guy calls the police and lets them know that, you know, what he's found. When the police get there, there is no identification on her. They don't know who she is. I'm pretty sure they searched like missing person stuff and whatnot. And they just said, you know what, let's try to run her prints. And it actually gets a hit in the system and it comes back to Sandra. So now they can confirm her identity. Why does it come back like a hit in the system, blah, blah, blah? It's because like for her job, she had to get fingerprinted. Gotcha. Right. She didn't have a criminal history or anything like that. Um, Even if she did, that doesn't mean she deserves whatever happened. Right. Like, no, no one deserves this. No one deserves to be murdered and tossed to the side like garbage. That's not okay. They identify her. They find her address and her address is still the Mount Vernon house address. And they go there and they talk to her foster mom and the foster mom is distraught. Y'all like she's just like. Sandra was like getting ready for the baby. She's thinking of baby names and stuff like that. And like, just so shocked that this happened. Um, As the cops are talking to Sandra's foster mom, there's this dude named Mike. He's a neighbor slash repairman. He comes in and he's like, what happened to Sandra? And they're like, well, Sandra was murdered last night. And he like acts weird and he leaves the room and they're just like, Okay, put that, put this fool on the damn list, on the suspects list, the neighborhood repairman Mike, because turns out this repairman Mike had a few convictions or like arrests or something um, related to like taking pictures under women's skirts. Oh. Right. So he had a few of those. And really I don't know if it was a few, honestly, or just one, but it was enough that it, it made them like, you know, put them on high alert. Yeah. Um, so they definitely were about to come back to him in a little bit, but they wanted to know more about Emmanuel, right? Like Sandra's boyfriend and baby daddy. Um, and that's when they actually learned that his name's Emmanuel through the foster mom. She's like the father of the child. His name's Emmanuel. Like he's 26 years old. Like he goes to Stony Brook, another mm-hmm. SUNY school. Right. There's not too much information about Emmanuel, and a lot of the information that's out there, especially about his education, is conflicting. But basically, there's some sources that say that he had two master's degrees, like one in um, psych and one in economics. And then another source says that he was double majoring in psych and economics. And that one sounded more plausible to me, like you're double majoring and not Mm -hmm. like getting two master's degrees. I did get two master's degrees, though, so that doesn't. Maybe it's not too far-fetched, but they keep saying the words double majoring, and I don't remember, like, the ability to double major as a master's student. Oh, as a master's student. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. So I think he might have been in college at this point, even though he's 26 years old. It's like, I don't know, guys. I don't know why they don't accurately report these things. Maybe it's not... Maybe it's not super important, but I don't know. It helps to paint the story, so... Um, just think to yourself, okay, this dude was like book smart. Okay, cool. So of course the cops want to talk to Emmanuel and they bring him in for questioning and he is not like rattled at all. As a matter of fact, the cops did something that I'm like, oh, that's sneaky. They drove past the site where they found Sandra Mm -hmm. to see like what his reaction would be. 
when they had him in the back of the car. Oh. Oh, yeah. He did not flinch, y'all. He didn't flinch. He was just like, I don't know why y'all taking me in. Like, he just went about his day. Like, so they were like, okay, well, I guess nothing, you know, might not be him. So they interview him and they're just like, you know, they want an alibi. And they're always going to look at the partner first. Especially Mm -hmm. in this case, because she's pregnant. They're like, huh. You know, you don't want to think somebody would kill someone because they're pregnant, but it happens more than people think. So they talk to Emmanuel. He gives them an alibi. He said, you know, that Sandra had texted him that night, but he had fallen asleep and he missed her message and stuff. And he doesn't know what happened. Um, He also says that he ends up going to Cleveland with his friend Josh and Bo and like meet up with a girl there. Okay. I mean, the story sounded so out of like, just so far fetched, honestly, but the police were like, okay, um, we want everyone's name. We're going to verify this. Because not only yeah. did he go to Cleveland on the same night of her disappearance, he stayed there for five days. And then he came back. So they're just like, and it didn't seem like he had family in Cleveland. So they were just like, okay, so you and your friends just decided to go to Cleveland and you met a girl there. And and he actually was in Cleveland? Or yes. Or like allegedly was? Oh, uh, no. So they verified his alibi and he was really in Cleveland. Oh. Yes. So the, so let me rewind a little bit because I should probably talk about the medical examiner's report and stuff and what they found, you know, with Sandra. So they found that she died because of strangulation and that she had also been, been beaten. There was no DNA linking anybody to her. Not mm-hmm. under her fingernails, nothing. If they were going to solve this case, it was going to have to be by confession or something. Something was going to have to happen, but it wasn't going to be by DNA. Listen, it happens quite a, quite often that there's no DNA and you have to get, you know, then it's all circumstantial. It's just going to be based off of a person's confession or mm-hmm. lack of confession, right? It's just going to be like, well, is it likely that you did it? You could go to jail because sure. it's likely that you did it. Yeah. Wild things. But some people deserve to go to jail based on that because they did do it. They did it. You know what I'm saying? They did it. Some people, they just get lost in that. They get caught up in it and they're innocent. But that's for another um, conversation. So back to Emmanuel. Um, so he, so the medical, oh yeah, that's what I want to say. Duh. So the medical examiner put the time of death as being like two or three days before June 25th, which is when her body was found. So based off of that timeline, Emmanuel could not have killed Sandra because he was in Cleveland, right? He left to Cleveland on June 20th or like at some point on June 20th. um, He went, he came back June 25th. Sandra was already dead. The medical examiner is placing her time of death around June 22nd, June 23rd. So they had to let him go, basically. They let him go because they couldn't hold him on anything. There was nothing they could hold him on. There was no warrants for his arrest. There was nothing else. So they had to let him go. Who else is there? So they do bring in the creepy neighbor, Mike, because he just acts really weird. And they put a picture of Sandra in the morgue in front of him. He freaks out, but he does not speak. He doesn't want to talk about it. He's just like, I didn't do it. Like, I don't want to talk about it, blah, blah, blah. And they eventually let him go because they're just like, we have nothing to go on. Like, this dude is creepy, but it doesn't mean that he's a murderer. Mm -hmm. So they let him go. So for a little bit, like, there's nothing really happening in the case because 
there's no DNA. There's no, like, there's no evidence at all. Can you imagine? No evidence at all. And they can't tie a manual to it because of the time of death that the medical examiner is giving. So they could hear. The, could the medical examiner be wrong in terms of. Ding, of ding, ding. Possibly. They are possibly. They possibly are wrong. But before we get to that theory, we're going to go to Sherry. Sherry is somebody who. I want to say like one of Sandra's closest friends tells police about, she says that Sherry went to like, you know, lived at the Pleasantville cottages around the same time as um, Sandra did and that Mm -hmm. they had some beef over a boy. So the cops were like, okay, like maybe she killed her. Um, Which I'm thinking to myself, I don't know, kill her and then dump her. Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like, yeah at least the way sherry looked in the episode i know sometimes it's like not even closely reflective of how the person looked in real life she just looks small and scrawny and if you're carrying like a a body and now it's like it's literally dead weight Mm -hmm. that's that's gonna be heavy so i'm just like hmm she would have to have help but anyways they talk to sherry they bring her in sherry got the nastiest attitude y'all she got an attitude and you know, they're asking her, like, did you murder her? And she's just being like, she's just giving them attitude and stuff like that. So instead of eliminating herself from the list, she like just places herself further up on the list. They're just like, you know what, Sherry, we, you know, they let her go, but they're just Mm -hmm. thinking to themselves, she could have done it. She had this thing against Sandra. They bring up her name and she's just talking crap about Sandra and all this stuff. And that's so disrespectful. Like knowing that she has, you know, died. Right. Right, like, she didn't care. She didn't care. And aside from that, Pleasantville Cottages in 2002 was going through its craziest times. Like, I will post this article in the show notes. Well, you have to click on the link and go to the site. But Pleasantville Cottages, a few girls there actually tied up a, like, counselor that was there one night. And I'm not kidding, like, they beat her up. They set her on fire. They, like, poured alcohol on her, set her on fire, poured bleach on her skin after, like, the flesh was exposed. Like, all kinds of crazy stuff. Did this person survive? They did. Yeah, she did survive. The article does not list the name of the people who did it, most likely because they were underaged. But I'm curious to know because the article also says that these girls, apparently there were seven of them. And the torture went on for, like, an hour before, like, another staff member passed by. And they were like, oh, we should probably stop torturing her and burning her and, like, pouring bleach on her. There was about seven girls who did this. And the article says that these girls were laughing in court. Like, literally laughing, giddy, like, thought it was hilarious. So, I mean, that points to, like, mental health. But basically... They mentioned this in the episode, and I had to look it up because I was like, is this real? Because I had never even heard of Pleasantville Cottages. But it is a true story. It did happen early in 2002. Like, okay, so at this point, though, they have nothing to hold Sherry on. It's just like, you know, some sort of like, I don't know, premonition. Not really premonition. That's not a good one. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Premonition? It's a good movie, yeah. Really? With Sandra Bullock? Yeah, it's a good movie. Another Sandra yeah, but we say here. Sandra, I think, for her, Sandra. Anyways, I don't think it was a premonition, but it's just like, you know, you just get this feeling. They're like, we're going to keep her there because we just don't know. But 
they come across a huge break, guys. They realize that Sandra got a new debit card before she died and that it was actually used after her death, three days after her death. And it was, yeah, at a gas station. Wait, it gets better, okay? Like, better in the sense of, like... Was there footage? There was no footage. But y'all are going to really be like, oh, this dude is a damn fool. Okay. His name is... Dude? Yeah, his name is Dwayne Morris. I don't know how to spell, like, pronounce his last name. Morais? M-O-R-A-I-S. I don't know. So, Dwayne... Not only does he use the card, y'all, he submits a receipt for reimbursement at his job. So you're, you're submitting a receipt for reimbursement on a credit card you stole. The credit card has the person's name on it. Like, you can't get any more foolish than that. Sure, but he could have also have just found a random person's wallet okay, on the no, street. I'm, I'm tired of you playing devil's advocate. I'm just seeing. Okay, but that's not what happened. Okay. What happened was, well, they bring Dwayne in, basically. But before they bring Dwayne in, they go to the place that he works at. Because they're able to, like, you know, the credit card companies tells them, hey, like, it was used at, like, this place and... I don't know. They figure out who used it and they go to the assisted living facility where Dwayne works. Now they go to the manager of it and they're asking for like records. They want to see the receipt and blah, blah, blah. The manager gives so much attitude. Like he does not want to help the investigation. They're like, it's a murder investigation. He was so rude about it. They had to actually get the DA to get him to give over the stuff. And they threw some extra stuff at him as far as, like, they, they audited his shit. Like, they really, really took him for a ride, like, just for giving them a hard time. So, you know what? You could have just said yes. You could have just let them look at your books. Now you're getting audited. Now the IRS is knocking, everybody knocking at your door. But anyways, all of that to say, they bring in Dwayne for questioning. And Dwayne, they're like, you killed her. We know wait, you wait, did. Wait, wait. Who is Dwayne? Dwayne. Dwayne. He's the one that used a card. I understand, but where did he come from? Okay, I'm gonna tell I you. I know he, he appeared from man? he appeared from thin air. I'm about to I'm gonna draw I'm about to connect four for you right now, okay? Okay. So Dwayne is brought in for questioning. The cops ask Dwayne the same question as you. How the heck did you get this card? Like, how, you know, how are you connected to all of this? You going to jail. You did this. You know, they're doing all those kinds of tactics. And he's like, no, no, no. I got the card from Josh. Remember Josh? When did Josh? Josh came up. Remember I told you that Emmanuel went to um, Cleveland with his friend Josh and Bo? Oh. So... Now Dwayne is saying, I got it from Josh. And when Josh gave it to me, he told me that the card had a body on it. I repeat, he said the card had a body on it. So if he said that, why would you use the card? Why? Like, make it make sense. I'm just like, oh, Lord. Okay. So at this point, they're like, okay, Josh, let's bring him in for questioning. Okay. Turns out that Josh and Emmanuel are actually frat brothers. And Emmanuel also had applied to work at the like living, like assisted living facility that Dwayne worked at too. Josh is brought in for questioning and Josh eventually cracks under the pressure. Cause I'm sure they try to throw the whole book at him. 
they probably were like, if you don't tell us what you know, you going down for murder and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Because that's usually what they do to get yeah. somebody to crack. And he didn't walk in there with no lawyer. So there's that. Um, so what happens during the questioning? Josh admits to doing the following. He says that on the night of June 20th, um, or, well, it's not really night. It's like the wee hours of the morning. It had just turned June 20th. So he said that Emmanuel pulled up to his house and he got out the car and he was kind of like shaken. And he's like, well, I don't even know. Should I say shaken? I feel like he would just act in like a sociopath and was probably real chill about it. But anyways, he pulls up to um, Josh's house and he's like, yeah, I killed um, Sandra. I killed her. And he's like, I'm sorry, come again. He said. I killed Sandra. She's in the back seat because he had seen her in the back seat. He thought she was sleeping. He's like, "Whoa, what the hell?" But this is my thing. This this never makes sense to me. If you saw that somebody had a dead body in the like in their car, wouldn't you be a little bit alarmed by this? Uh, yeah, I don't care who it is pulling up. Emmanuel says to him, "You have to help me. Help me get rid of her body." And what does Josh do? He helps him. He helps him. He helps him. He wraps her in plastic bags and they drive around for a bit because they're trying to figure out where to put her body. That frat brother mentality is a whole other level of. Oh, my gosh. For real. Ugh. just it's just mm, I don't like it. So anyways, they ride around a bit until like the wee hours of the morning until they can figure out where can we put her. And then that's when they leave her on 56 and 12th. At this point in the story, I mean, I'm watching it. I'm appalled as I am when I watch all these stories like or read articles about them. I'm just like, Josh, you done threw away your life for your friend. Like your friend killed his baby mama and you helped him. What's wrong with you? Who raised Mm y'all wolves? This ain't normal. That is not normal behavior. So at this point, they're like, you know what? Let's get. Emmanuel back in the squad room and we gonna really press him so they start pressing him and they bring up the information that Sandra's friend actually provided them earlier on so her friend Mindy had told them about Sherry the girl from Pleasantville Cottages but she also told them that Emmanuel really wanted Sandra to get an abortion and that Sandra had refused to do so hmm Yes. So they pressed him about that. He admitted like he wanted her to get an abortion, but he just was like very steadfast. Like, I did not kill her. I did not kill her. I did not kill her. Like, but they they just weren't buying it at this point. They're like, your friend Josh said you killed her. Um, He said that he helped you with the body. Like, that's it. And they had enough for a warrant, guys. And they went ahead and arrested him. So at this point in time, it's 2004. It's like the spring of 2004 by the time they arrest him. So quite a bit of time had passed between, right, since her murder. And at this point, he pleads not guilty to murder. Okay. I think he, I think it's second degree murder, but they go to trial about this because he, of course, does not want to just take this laying down type thing, right? He's like, oh no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He keeps saying, he says that he's innocent. Okay. His defense is that Josh did it. 
That's his defense, y'all. That Josh did it. It wasn't him. What is Josh's motive? But that's what I'd like to know. I'm like, okay. Horrible defense. Right. I'm like, what was the attorney thinking? Right, right. He tried to, later on, he tries to, of course, submit some type of appeal for ineffectiveness of counsel. But, you know, they said no to that because no. Okay. You have to meet like a certain level. It's Mm -hmm. like a Strickland test. It's okay. It's too much to get into right now. It's bringing back like horror, horrible memories back in my head. But anyways, yes, that's his, that's his whole defense that Josh did it because Josh actually only gets probation from this. He gets no time for assisting. Right. So in exchange for his testimony, he's allowed to get probation for helping to discard of a human body. Now that is insane. And she was how many months pregnant? 20 months. I'm sorry. I was like 20 months. 20 months. Seven months pregnant, 20 years old. Wow. And he did not get any, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of, it's essentially double murder. So the fact yeah. that Josh gets a slap on the wrist mm-hmm. is, is pretty interesting. Um, but they must have really wanted to nail Emmanuel to the cross. Yeah. So um, aside from that, you asked me earlier how they met. So it turns out that Emmanuel was actually possibly in a relationship with Sandra's roommate. Oh. Yeah, which um, there's not too much information about this on the show, but like it comes up during trial. Her roommate in college? Yeah, her roommate in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's kind of messy. Yeah, I think her roommate's name is Lauren or something like that. Definitely a twist of events that I wasn't expecting, um, but they don't really like focus too much on that. They start, you know, the they do perform a DNA test. It does show that he was the father of the child. Um, and the prosecution's case is simple. Like he killed Sandra because he didn't want to have a baby and she, he asked her to get an abortion. She said no. So he decided to kill her. That was the prosecution's like whole story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's an accurate picture. That seems to be exactly what happened. And the jury agrees too, because guys, it takes them four hours to deliberate and they sentence Emmanuel well, they find him guilty, and then the judge sentenced him to 25 years to life in prison. Somewhere in the show, I feel like it was on the show, they mentioned that he was actually really close to graduating school at that point. He was going to graduate with honors. It's the book smart people you got to be careful for. Yeah, or be careful with, I mean. He is up for parole um, in December of 2028. So that just means when they say 25 years to life, that means you do have a chance to get out, right? It's not Mm -hmm. without the possibility of parole. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, 25 years to life. So they will check in in December 2028. And the family is actually able to go to these hearings and express their sentiments about why this person shouldn't get out. Mm -hmm. But this person does have a decent chance of getting out if they have truly repented, they've turned their life around in prison, et cetera, et cetera. So... I don't know what's going to be, you know, what's going to happen there with Emmanuel, but that is the Sandra Bonaventure case. Do you know what other case in 2002 was happening where a a pregnant woman was also murdered? It's Norma's, like, Uh, probably top Um, five true crime cases. What's his name? 
Peterson. Yes. That was um, also happening at the Lacey time. Lacey Peterson. Lacey Peterson. Yes. And remember the kind of coverage they got? I mean, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And it was really, really traumatic and as a kid pregnant. to see. And she was pregnant. And she was pregnant. And she, she was eight months. Like, what? It was around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So this case happened a few months before that. And I just want to read... Just this, like, paragraph from a blog I found. It's by Professor Kim. I don't know who she is. I don't know if she's really a professor, but she wrote a little paragraph about this, and I was like, ah, I should read this to you guys. She says as follows. You can be forgiven if you've never heard of Sandra Bonaventure. After all, it's not as if she was a pretty young pregnant woman with everything to live for like Lacey Peterson. Oh, wait, actually, she was. Well, it's not as if her death happened in a major news market. Oh, wait. Yes, it did. Well, there probably wasn't anything exceptional about the circumstances of her killing. Tragic, but not particularly newsworthy, right? Um, wrong. Sandra Bonaventure's murder had all of the tragic ingredients that make for major press coverage, except for the fact that she and the man whom the courts say killed her are Haitian Americans. I think that's very true. Mic drop. It's true. Why do we know Lacey Peterson so white well? Syndrome. That's why. White women. White. Well, isn't it missing white woman syndrome? Oh, I'm sorry. What would you say? <laughs> it's just some white woman syndrome. <laughs> missing white woman syndrome. Missing white woman syndrome. Yeah. This story is really sad. And you know what's interesting? Mom always says this to us. I mean, she would say this growing up. She's like, when you're pregnant, be careful. Don't tell the guy, like, too quickly. Right? Like, or don't tell the guy at all. I don't know. Mom would say weird things. She would say things like that. She would, but she was just... She would watch these shows where people, like, literally kill pregnant women because they just don't want to have the kid instead Mm -hmm. of just staying out of their life. Like, you could just really live your own life and just Mm -hmm. not be in the kid's life. That would fucking suck. But no one would be murdered. Right. But he went the extra step of eliminating the kid and her. It's like, why would you do that? Her mom was willing to help. Her foster mom was willing to help. Like, she had a strong community around her. She would have been good without you. My thing is also, like, people do these murders and they think they're going to get away with it. Right. I'm like, you ain't that smart majored in psych and econ but failed at life but interesting that there was no dna on her so like maybe he really thought like oh i can get away with this maybe i'm surprised she didn't like scratch him and get something you know or i'm sure she did but they just never they didn't find any dna under her nails and then the medical examiner like what was up with that they must have gotten it wrong oh i forgot to mention that good thing you brought it back so yes the medical examiner actually did basically reassess the case later on and they determined that Sandra was likely murdered around June 20th and that's how Emmanuel's alibi also fell apart Mm. and yes that also helped them to get a warrant for his arrest and stuff and and do that the Haitian community don't claim him they Mm. don't claim him no more Neither, neither does the black community. We don't know you. You ain't invited to the barbecue or Wakanda. Okay? Mm-hmm. You stay your ass somewhere else. Anyways, that is a Sandra Bonaventure case. It's a really sad case. We haven't done one like this with someone being pregnant. Yeah. So, um, but really sad and just, you know, pray for her family. 
and all of that because this is tough this is tough to it's imagine just being on the other side and this happened to your loved one i mean it's already hard telling the story yeah. um and digesting the content kind of thing like imagine like having this happen to a loved one so we do send our love to her family and friends um you know who have to like deal with this tragedy every day you know what i'm saying this person might be physically not here but the memories are still there and so i can only imagine the pain that they feel especially like her dying with her child with her child child right you know think about like how big that kid would be now i know almost 20 years old yeah Almost 20 years old. That is so insane. It's sad. It's really sad. It's two lives lost for, for what? For what? Young, 20, ambitious, like, you know, had a lot going for her. Meanwhile, Manuel just was, you know. And he had a lot going for himself, too. He did. Like he did have an, a lot going just, for him like until that. he decided to, you know, enroll in the Ronald McDonald School of Foolery. And that's when things went downhill for him. He started losing his damn mind. That's what happened. Mental health is real. Like, yeah. how do you go from just saying, you know, I don't want a kid to, you know what? I'm just going to kill the person. I'm just going to strangle. I'll strangle them. And like, who, who thinks like that? That's not normal. It's not. But anyways, we'll be back next week with some more not normal stories so you guys stay tuned and be safe keep your head on the swivel because you know these fools be out here there's a lot of fools who went to ronald mcdonald school just be careful Mm. keep your head on a swivel see you next tuesday see you next tuesday peace